from Carolina, I got one from Tennessee, and I'm one chrome hitch away from being where I wanna be. I got vagabonds and old ex-cons that beer cans throw away, like a castle up on 12-inch block and right underneath the paint. Even though I keep my love like a satellite, I still never get that picture right. I'm drifting in the Space in my hanging hat don't stay. I ran like hell from wedding bills and I rambled my whole life. I let the breadcrumb trail the shotgun shells and I'm still damn hard to find. I'm a big old and rolling on before that shooting starts. I got a mind running like a freight train and a heart, like a trailer park. Bienvenidos, welcome to one more episode of Bob Radio. Bob stands for Build on Bitcoin. We talk to Bitcoin builders from all around the globe, from the heart of Bangkok, Thailand. This is brought to you by Sovereign Skateboards, and special out, shout out to Pleb Piccolo Jr., who is on a mission today. And well, uh, our guests today are Captain Sid and Texas Lim. Uh, what brought you here to Thailand? A conversation that we had back in Texas. And uh, what had happened, uh, thank you for having us, by the way. It's good to meet you guys. I wanted to say real quick, you know, this is what Bitcoiners need to understand is that none of us knew each other 15 minutes ago. And now we're going to have a very kind of, I would say, even intimate conversation about life, about innovation, about Bitcoin. And that's because of the Bitcoin ethos. So this happens all over the world and we need to understand why it happens. But the why of how we got here was I had a conference with the beef initiative last year. It was the first one. Sid had heard about me and whenever he was in Miami and he uh, basically was going to ride a motorcycle across the United States. Well, he heard about this dude called Texas slim and he rode his motorcycle to Texas and he came to that first conference, and we were sitting in this hotel. It was the Wyo Ranch Hotel in Kerrville, Texas. It's a very historical ranch. It's a, kind of a historical hotel. Had a big fireplace, and we were just sitting there talking. And, you know, he started talking about Thailand. I'd been here 20 years ago, and I was going to move to Thailand before COVID. I really, that was going to be my life, you know, kind of move that I was going to do with my time that I'd spent in the States and traveled around the world. We had a conversation, and now we are here less than a year later, and uh, we're talking Bitcoin and beef, and we're in Bangkok. Yeah, and I moved here right before COVID. Right. I just beat you by <laughs> six months, maybe, and made it in and never looked back. All right. Well, it's an honor for us to have you here, guys. Um, to start with, we're going to get into like your beef initiative soon. Sure. But I would like to start with like five rapid-fire questions, if you don't mind. No, go, go for it. it. All Love right. It. So... Road trip, solo or with company? I did it solo. You'd rather go for solo? In general. I enjoy it solo, yeah. It's the second solo road trip I've done across the U.S. It's got to be solo. I just uh, I drove 60,000 miles since June across the United States. Did we? Did I beat you? 60,000 <laughs> 60, since oh, yeah, by June. By yeah. order of magnitude. Yeah, 60,000 miles by myself. All right, then. Yeah, it's, it, you got to be focused, man. You got to get <laughs> if you're on a mission, you know, you got to you got to go solo. People have issues that come out during road trips. <laughs> yep. They they don't they kind of divide and conquer the road trip. And so keeping it solo kind of keeps it more, you know, 
I think rewarding. So for sure. Second question: motorbike or caravan or car for your uh, road trips? Depends where. In in Thailand, motorbike for sure. You can go everywhere. In the U.S., probably do a car next time. I have to uh, agree because the first time I was in Thailand, I rode a motorcycle across <laughs> Thailand. So motorbike in Thailand, uh, definitely a car in the United States, and probably a caravan in Europe, I would say. Yeah. In, we, in Europe, we walk all the time. We yeah. don't just like vehicles. <laughs> yeah. um, third question, what's the best steak you ever had? Oh, boy, probably at the beef initiative. It has to be. Probably that mean. I, I think I stood by the the fire and just kept eating whatever scraps they were throwing <laughs> me. We, like we had all you could eat beef that day and we still had beef and we had Bitcoiners and ranchers there and we still had beef left. So that says a lot. We had a lot of beef, but I'm going to be, uh, I have to say the best beef I've ever had is uh, Texas Slim's cuts and uh, it's, it's partnership with K and C cattle there in Texas. So that's part of the beef initiative that we'll talk about. What do you love from Thailand and what do you hate from Thailand? Nah, you go first. Everything and nothing. I'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it that way. Um, I mean, there's the aspect of I'm a transplant. The rest of my lived experience has been in the U.S., but I haven't looked back. I, I love it here. And, and so much of it, we've talked about this a lot today, that it's impossible to tell you why I love it so much because so much of it I don't really understand. I can just feel when I'm here. And I knew when I went back to the U.S. to do this motorcycle trip, as soon as I landed to the day I left, this is not where I want to be. And, I mean, I, I love that trip. It's not to say that the trip wasn't worth it or wasn't incredibly rewarding and fun, but that's not where I want to live. I want to live here. So Damn. never look back. Already settled? Yeah, I'm pretty settled now. Damn. Texas. What uh, you always start with what you, what's positive first, and one thing that I re can recall is that you know I spent 20 years reflecting on Thailand for my first visit, and it's basically you know it's called the land of smiles for a reason. There's a spirit here that you can't that I've never found again, and it's unexplainable to a lot of people, and it's hard to basically convey. Uh, when you tell stories about Thailand, it's more of like you got to put in the proof of work to get here and just kind of experience it. Uh, you know, it's it's the people. It's there's something here that, you know, it's been magical for thousands of years. You know, Siam, you know, it's it's something that is here that people have always from ancient civilizations have known. And um, th there is one thing I have to admit that, that that needs to change in Thailand is that they don't have enough beef here. So that's why you're here. Of course. Yeah, I'll second that one. <laughs> Would like more beef, but yes. it's coming. More we'll more more beef that uh, has a protocol that is uh, decentralized. All right. Last one. I think for Texas this question is like pretty simple. Let's see about like Sid. Without Bitcoin, you would let's say Bitcoin like disappears for some for like any mm -hmm. reason. What would you do? I don't know, man. I, I think I'd be fucked. I'll, I'll put it this way. No, I don't think I would be fucked. I think Bitcoin is the very tip of an iceberg, and the iceberg is the more interesting part. Like, to me, Bitcoin is the least interesting part of everything that Bitcoin has woken me up to. I mean, the beef initiative, eating beef, has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but we've I found it through Bitcoin. I've made so many friends, so many connections, so much 
valuable mentorship and growth through what Bitcoin has allowed me to discover. And so if it disappeared, maybe I would lose out on more of that growth in the future, but I'm already on that path because of Bitcoin. I don't think Bitcoin matters as much once you start to understand it. And, you know, it's not just a thing in your life, but you make it part of your lifestyle. It just opens so many doors. Fair enough. So you would like keep like the value proposition of Bitcoin a little bit and apply that to your like other uh, fields of your life in a way? Yeah, I think to me, I, I look at like Bitcoin versus fiat. Uh-huh. And the more interesting part to me is like, how did we get into this totally fucked up fiat world? And even if we didn't have Bitcoin, I'd still be interested on how do we fix that problem? And I think Bitcoin is the perfect solution for it or a very good solution for it. But I would just look for other ways to solve the problems that fiat creates, basically. All right. Texas? Well, with the Beef Initiative, what I didn't, I didn't establish the Beef Initiative without Bitcoin. And with that, was saying that the Beef Initiative is about establishing relationships. And that was something that Bitcoin allowed me to see was basically, actually, my grandfather was a Bitcoiner, but he just didn't have Bitcoin. So to what Sid just said, the relationships are the most valuable thing to Bitcoin right now that's happening. Uh, I, we started this podcast saying, hey, we'd have never met each other unless it was for Bitcoin. Well, whenever I established the Beef Initiative, I said the Beef Initiative is basically based on the e Bitcoin ethos. And so I look at it as a ledger. And so what you do is you follow that ethos. And within the, the beef industry in the United States and even the global industry, it is, it is a, a misunderstood industry. What clarifies and basically allows people to have those relationships is peer-to-peer relationships and that leads to peer-to-peer -peer transactions that have a store of value and I, I picked the the strongest nutritional food that we've ever seen in humanity which is beef it, it you can look back and see ancient civilizations have always honored the cow so you follow the ethos of bitcoin you know you can still as you know once again as what said said those relationships will still flourish and if you can protect that ledger that's based on sound relationships and an and idea of sound money with some sound communication, then, you know, the innovation is still going to move forward. So that's, you know, we don't have to overly rely on Bitcoin right now. We will in the future. But what we need to really understand as Bitcoiners and those who have not really adopted Bitcoin is, is a decentralized mindset is that the most important thing right now that we can do is establish these relationships and use the Bitcoin ethos to establish those relationships. Would you say then, would you agree that Bitcoin is also a communication protocol itself? Oh, by far. Just the mindset of decentralization is a communication protocol that people don't understand. You know, I come from networking and, you know, a protocol of communication, the internet is overly centralized and compartmentalized index now, multiple indexes that people don't understand. And so if you use a protocol like Bitcoin, just understanding how water flows off the mountain, it's a decentralized flow of water. Well, that's Bitcoin right there. It's a protocol. It's like you can't control it. And so once you have decentralized communications, you have confidence behind that communication. You have intentional communications, clear communications that aren't, controlled or censored bitcoin allows us to do that all right um then 
let's jump into like the BFI initiative. Sure. How do you see like Bitcoin fitting into like your enterprise? And for how long have you been working on it? Well, to put things into perspective, how I got into Bitcoin was through health. I had a major health scare. I got busted up pretty good and I had an internal injury. And so what I did is I... I come from farming and ranching, my ancestors farming and ranching, I'm multi-generational Texan. So whenever I, I was given six weeks to live and I said, okay, if I get through this shit, then I'm going to basically look at food in the way that my grandparents looked at food from the ground up. And so I had to start from the source of the seed of what food was again. Whenever I started getting into food intelligence is what I call it, then I actually at the same time discovered Bitcoin. I knew Bitcoin was out there. I come from big tech, but I'd never paid attention. You know, we all have our excuses and we all find it when we deserve to find it. I found it through health because I was re-engineering the health in which I had lost. Whenever I found Bitcoin, I knew that food was basically captured in a way that people do not understand. Our health shows it. Uh, the devaluation of our dollar proves it. And the metabolical health of my country, the United States, 88% of us are basically already bankrupt with our health. Uh, it's controlled by chemicals and the multina uh, multinational chemical companies. Whenever you look at Bitcoin and what it can do as far as taking you on a journey to health, and health is wealth and wealth is health, and whenever you can take Bitcoin and use it as a utility to have peer-to-peer -peer relationships and transactions in a store of value, then I knew that with what is going on, we'll talk about this, that there's a war on beef right now. It's a multinational war. It's a global war. And where I come from, the, the, the attack is against the American rancher. And, and whenever you can decentralize money, when you can basically take out the multinational grain and chemical companies which control the beef industry with the processing centers, there's only one tool that basically can educate and then create that store of value that we've lost. And that's what we do is we trade beef, beef for Bitcoin. We educate both sides of the, uh, of, the, of the market with beef and Bitcoin. They go hand in hand. And at first, everybody really couldn't understand what the correlation was. Well, it's going to be one of the biggest adoptions of Bitcoin is through beef. And what they, is going to save the global beef industry that is basically the, the beef in which is pure and not basically injected with multinational grains and chemicals, you know, you're going to be able to see that decentralizing our money, if you're going to do that, if you're going to be a Bitcoiner, then you better start decentralizing your food. Because our food is not food anymore, and our health proves that. You've mentioned that um, food is getting captured. Mm. How is getting captured exactly? Well, and by, you by have, whom? Yeah, it, it, it's it's a hell of a daunting rabbit hole to go down to. And what I like to do is give a reference point. 1971, we went off the gold standard. That's what everybody knows. What the fuck happened in 1971, right? Well, whenever that happened, we also basically went off the value of food and what nutrition is. We started injecting fake commodities into our food systems, and those were done by multinational grain and chemical companies. So you look at the correlation of how our dollar has basically decreased in value since 1971, which everybody, if you're a Bitcoiner, you know this. 
We'll look at a chart of the health of the United States. It's basically the same chart. So our metabolical health has crashed. The injection of a fake commodities that did not exist before 1971 was one thing that happened because we devalued our dollar. We devalue our food. How do you do that? Well, you inject different types of fake commodities that basically become fillers into your food and you make them taste good. And so the basically within the last five decades, you know, the health of the nation has has gone. It's uh, it's it's basically on the same path as the value of the dollar. And in, in what's happened now you say, you know, how's food capture? Well, in 2017 and 18, there was two major consolidations on the global front. That was the grain and chem- multinational grain and chemical companies, multinational food corporations. And now they have uh, organized something called the One World Food Group. What they're trying to do is decrease the options of nutritional food, one of them being a war on protein, animal protein. Everywhere you go across the world, this is part of my you know, discovery coming to different countries, is that they're changing the understanding of what protein is, what nutrition is, and they're using multinational marketing uh, apparatuses basically to program people and to think that, uh, you know, that maybe the food is better for the individual and it's better for the planet. We've seen that. And by doing that, you're capturing basically everybody's consumption model from audio to video to food. And, and once you've done that, then you control because now food is nothing more than a drug in the United States. And it's moving to countries like Australia, moving to Asia, here in Thailand, and it's happening. A lot of people don't want to admit it. Cognitive dissonance is a bitch. But uh, once again, you know, we used to not eat over four hours. And if you look about how we basically are, our uh, health from diabetes to obesity to heart disease and how basically people have to consume, you know, food like a drug, then you can see that it is actually a capture that has happened over five decades. So can we dive more into the beef initiative Mm -hmm. and how you guys are like trying to solve like the problem we just exposed? Well, in, in Sid and I had talks about this way back when, and, you know, it, it, a lot of people don't understand what is the Beef Initiative, mm-hmm. and it's many things. But one thing it is, it's about building relationships, like what we've just been speaking of earlier. But what it is, the great, the, I call it the, you know, the great American rancher n- has not had a voice since 1971. They haven't had a digital voice they haven't had a voice in the, the global beef industry. It's been controlled by multinational corporations. So what the beef initiative is, is, I grew up with a freezer full of beef. That's how we were raised. We didn't have to worry about knowing ranchers. Everybody around us basically knew the rancher. We knew where our food came from. And that was very important. It's very simple. It's so simple it's complicated to most people. What we, what we did within the Beef Initiative, I said, you, you guys look over your shoulders. We're going to start living like our grandparents did. Our, my grandfather fed his family first, then he fed his community, and then it went outwards. That's what the Beef Initiative is. We're here. We're using sound money, which is Bitcoin, peer-to-peer transactions. We're going and we're rebuilding communities in which the community feeds itself first, me being the community first, the individual, 
and then my family, then my friends, then everybody else in that community. Beef Initiative allows the great American rancher, and here we are in Thailand, in the future, in our 10-year program, basically our 10-year plan, is that producers all across the world will now have sound money, sound communications that's decentralized in which they can rebuild their communities through sound nutrition and basically in a pathway to sound health. Whenever you can get back to the source of the seed of where that food comes from, where that animal actually grazed that grass, and you can actually have relationships with those producers, and you can use Bitcoin protocol to have those peer-to-peer transactions, and then what you have is an initiative. And right now, you know, the beef initiative was started because I'm from Texas, and we, we really honor the cow. We used to honor it even more. But what it, this really is, this is a health initiative to get people back into sound food. And so they can actually, you know, we can reestablish these communities from a health standpoint, not a monetary standpoint. we got to get healthy first. And in the United States, we're not healthy. And so, like I said, this is, this is a health initiative for me. First and foremost, I'm tired of seeing kids die in the United States because their metabolical health is being destroyed. Well, the great American rancher is now leading that in the United States. And we've got proof of work. We've been doing this for a while, and it's catching steam across the globe. All right. Um, I know you said you're, like, kind of into, like, permaculture and so on. Mm. Do you see, like, both, like, um, fields going hand in hand together at some point in the future, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I don't know this field quite as well as Slim, and I've learned a lot from Slim about it. But I think the way that we farm, it seems, especially in the U.S., and being in Thailand now for three years and having that perspective and seeing little bit of how food gets made and distributed and eaten in Thailand versus in the U.S. In the U.S., it's a massive machine. And what you buy at the grocery store has been through 100 hands and 100 huge companies that control most of that supply chain. And a lot of it is fake. It's, it's far from food. And I think I really started to feel that when I went back to do this motorcycle trip. When I got to the U.S., I I had this feeling and, you know, my mom growing up had always told me, you know, there's a lot of fake stuff in your food, corn syrup and um, different oils and stuff that's just not good for you and a lot of highly processed things. So I was kind of awake to the fact, oh, there's a lot of processed food, but I didn't understand how that translated to how I felt as a person because I spent my entire life, aside from a week here and there on vacation, in the U.S. So my diet was always on American food. So I just thought this is normal. And when I came back to the U.S., I realized when I'm eating food, it gives you this hit of dopamine. Everything you eat, you want to eat more and more of it. And it, it wasn't white bread. It wasn't Wonder Bread. It wasn't candy. It was everything. Everything that I ate from the most expensive restaurant to the cheapest fast food felt like that. And that's when it started to click for me that when I'm here in Thailand, I find the food delicious and enjoyable but when I'm satiated and full, I'm done and I don't eat anymore. In the U.S., I never get that feeling. I want to always eat and I'm never satisfied with what I'm eating. And then when I talk to Slim and he's talking about how this actually works from a supply chain level, it clicked for me that, oh, yeah, it's because our food is, is a commodity that's churned out for profit. It's not grown on the land in the same way that 
we used to do it maybe a hundred years ago. And I see that happening a lot more in Thailand. Sure, they definitely have an industrial food system here and there's a lot of very industrialized products, but I'd say generally it seems like a lot more food is grown in a much more permaculture kind of way where the, the farmer works with the land instead of the farmer lording over the land, pumping it full of nitrogen fertilizer that was made with oil, by the way, and trying to get as much possible yield as they can to sell it off to some multinational that's going to make Skittles with it. It's a much different relationship with food that we have in Thailand. And, and uh, talking to the guys here at Bob, like to Thai farmers, there isn't a concept of permaculture. There isn't regenerative. It's called farming. That's just how people farm. It's Correct. how people grow stuff. Yep. They, <laughs> they don't have uh, this idea of getting back to what we used to do because that's how a lot of people still do it. That's just normal here. Um, I love the fact that you guys haven't mentioned the word diet. Because if I had to ask you what's like the perfect diet out there, <laughs> probably like there is no like an answer for that, right? Actually, There's one actually. Go ahead. Yep. I would say in my experience, it's actually delicious food that yeah. makes you feel full when you're done. So that's your when perfect I was diet. Yeah. Okay. Real, real food. Uh -huh. um, when I went on this motorcycle trip at the end, I went to a, a meetup organizers conference at Bitcoin Park. The first one that they did called Grassroots Bitcoin. And I met someone from Michigan there that drove all the way down to Nashville with a truck full of, I think he, he had tomatoes, um, honey, honey, peppers, and a couple other random things from his, from his farm. And he's been growing it all in as permaculture a way as he can, just off the land using the sun and water pretty much, and natural fertilizers and manure and stuff. And that tomato, it tasted like a caprese salad inside a tomato. It was the most flavorful thing <laughs> I'd ever eaten. I've never found a tomato like that in any grocery store or even market here in Thailand that tastes that good. It's just insane the amount of flavor when you grow a good seed the right way. You don't need to add all this crap to it. To, to Sid's point, and I, you, you get some of the, you know, the regenerative minds and farmers, ranchers, everybody, they all have one thing in common that they say that, you know, we have to learn how to eat the earth again. And that's basically what Sid just said. The best diet out there is learning how to eat the earth again, <laughs> not chemicals that you can't pronounce. You know, and I, I make fun of people. It's like, well, if your food has more than 10 words on it, you shouldn't be eating it. And that means you have a good relationship with who produced it, and they use the land to produce it, not a bunch of, you know, multinational corporations to produce it. Do you think the fact that companies start, like, trademarking their products, food, help this fiat world to like have to live like to fiat food in a way because whenever i go to like do groceries i try to buy basically stuff that has like no trademark as soon as i know like a meat has touched a lab and has like other ingredients that are not like natural mm -hmm. i try to avoid that and most of the times they have like a trademark yeah well, and that's what a lot of people don't understand is the labeling laws are far gone, right, man. They, right. They're so corrupt. A lot of people don't even realize, you know, brought up the word organic. Uh -huh. Organic is basically trademarked. <laughs> people don't realize that. It was two dudes out in California. <laughs> they got smart, and, you know, they went the fiat route. And now, now they have people out there doing beyond organic. 
you know, as far as you being an intentional consumer and thinking you're informed because of the words on the package, well, part of that uh, capture is the trademarking of certain phrases, certain words. And, and once again, it's like if you're, if you're going to basically have any form of food intelligence moving forward, you're going to have to understand that labeling laws are corrupt and they really don't mean anything anymore. You know, we're going into right now, uh, you know, trademarking. Well, let's look at how much was trademarked during GMO days, right? Genetically modified. Well, now they got rid of genetically modified and people don't even realize that. Now it's bioengineered. How many trademarks are behind bioengineered now? It's thousands. It's daunting. And so, you know, once again, tying in with the marketing plans, tying in with the labeling laws, tying in with the corrupt lobbyists, if you're, if you're counting on you basically being healthy by words on a package, then you need a deeper food intelligence than you have right now. So do you actually outsource all your foods? Do you have like your own ranch? How does the beef initiative works in the States? Exactly. Well, me as an individual, I have relationships with ranchers. I, I basically 90% of my food comes from the people that I've shaken hands with. And so I know exactly where it comes from. I will never have a hard time finding protein in the United States. My goal as an individual is to never have a problem, you know, sourcing pure animal protein to any place in the world. I told everybody this was an international lifestyle, and that's what I'm trying to unfold here. And if people as the individual can have that same type of perspective and goal that, hey, my lifestyle starts from where I source my food, everything else is, is, uh, is a bonus package. Everything else is the enjoyment. You know, sourcing food creates, from the people that you know, it creates a, such a relationship that you meet people. You know, here I am in Thailand. I don't know how I got here. I got here because of the beef initiative, because I established relationships, and that relationship is based on pure food. So if you don't know the people producing your food, and it, it doesn't happen overnight, you don't just quit going to the supermarket or the grocery store. You start one small step at a time. Once you do that, you find a way to source your food. And once you've done it, Sid rode a motorcycle across the United States, and one thing that he made a priority is where was he going to source his beef? Well, he started sourcing his beef in certain places across the United States on his motorcycle. Well, what did he do next? He found ways that he could cook his steak as he was riding his motorcycle across the United States on the engine of the motorcycle. That was because of the relationships. That became a lifestyle for him. Once you start your lifestyle with sourcing the food from the right people, your life changes for the better. It doesn't change for the worse. So isn't your goal to like provide information to all people around the globe about like the most trust, uh, trusted ranchers, farmers. You bet. Yep. The beef initiative started with one handshake with one rancher in the United States. People overthink this. They don't put it in perspective. We, we, we went linear with our food. Linear meaning we spread it thin across the globe. Instead of going vertical and dense to where we stood and where you actually have those opportunities Anywhere in the world right now, you can have a beef initiative. There's ones popping up. There's one in Australia. We just, uh, I was just spent a month in Australia. Everybody in Australia, I'm going to get to thanking every one of y'all soon. 
So, but Australia was a fascinating month. They have an Australian beef initiative. We have the beef initiative. We're going to have a beef initiative here in Thailand. We're going to have a beef initiative in uh, El Salvador. I'm hoping somebody steps up and we're going to have a beef initiative in Nigeria. We're going to have a beef initiative in Spain. We're going to have a beef initiative on every continent of this of this world right now and if people can put it into perspective that it doesn't have to be a numbers game it's a quality game one rancher one handshake one cow one family at a time is how this basically uh that's how we build these nodes that we talk about in bitcoin we're node building here and we're doing it all over the world it's like almost a perfect um Analogy with like the Lightning Network, right? Yes. You're like opening these channels. Yep. Trusted channels. Like exactly. That would be like your handshake, right? You mentioned you've been to Australia. Mm-hmm. How's the scene at the moment with like Bitcoin ecosystem and when it comes to like getting proper food? Is it like easy for like the average Australian? No, Australia depends on, you know, where you are. Right. You know, and I think that's something that you can, we can associate within the United States. United States driving those 60,000 miles sits on it as well. United States is a food desert. doesn't matter if you're in the city <laughs> or if you're basically in the country in a rural small town. Small town America, you have the Dollar General, you have a convenience store, and you might have a Walmart. That's where people are sourcing their food. That's multinational trash. Seriously, I went hundreds of miles only seeing Dollar Generals. Exactly. And I didn't understand until my brother told me, because my, my brother has like lived on the streets and has his own rough story. But he told me, a lot of people live out of a Dollar General. You can buy food there. I, didn't, I was stunned, because I thought it was like a dollar store where you buy no. cheap plastic crap. They have food there, and that's where a lot of people eat. What type US. of food do they have? lot of trash is basically one, what doesn't yeah. sell at the supermarket what doesn't sell at walmart it's a funnel down it's the recycling bin of the multinational food and that's how they it's already so subsidized and commoditized that it's so cheap that they basically they're either going to throw it away or they basically created a franchise system across the united states say it's cheap and so you know a lot of our kids are being raised by eating their consumption model is through the dollar general so you know, in the United States, we are already suffering from most of the United States being a food desert for many different types of population. And in, in Australia, it's the same in a lot of different ways. Um, you go out to the countryside and, you know, the farmers and ranchers that are, that are called farmers in Australia don't want to disrespect. And so in, in the farmers in the land and the, the access to really good beef and animal protein, lamb, and fowl and hog, it's phenomenal. It's really good. You get into the cities, they're food deserts. You go into some of the small towns, not as bad as like in the United States, but it's on that trajectory. Um, you go to the supermarkets in Australia, the labeling laws are more corrupt. They're already really pushing the carbon credits as far as a cow being a carbon hazard. The marketing, the multinational marketing as far as, you know, saving the planet, you're a good consumer. That is really picking up, Steve. You can follow the path of COVID, and I would say that's the path of this global industrial food shift that I talk about. It's it's fascinating. Australia's got a lot of potential to basically work around and circumvent the global industrial food shift. But then at one point in time, a lot of uh, Australia is not basically even having market access 
to the type of proteins that they're raising on that continent. I found uh, once uh, a beef uh, company out of, it was in Sydney, and we did a deep dive into them. They're actually, say they're Australian, but they're out of, they're out of Shanghai. They, they're basically Western Australia, out in the middle of nowhere where nobody knows. And basically, they're using up all of Australia's resources, but they're only, and it's Wagyu, multi-grain, national grain finished Wagyu beef that people think is good beef, and it's not even good beef, but they're selling it to the IN restaurants in Sydney and Melbourne. Well, the, the rest of that beef is being shipped out of Australia. Australians aren't getting any good beef that they're actually growing. And you look at Australia, they have more lamb, sheep, than cows. Well, most people don't eat very much lamb and sheep in Australia. It gets shipped off as well on the multinational distribution model. And that's what a lot of people don't understand because they do not understand market access and lack thereof. If, if, if I'm someone that now is listening to this and I, I realize how rotten like the food industry is, what can I do in order to like improve my life? I'll say it over until I get blue in the face, and I've already been blue in the face a thousand times. Go shake a damn rancher's hand. So simple, it's complicated. Establish that relationship that somebody that wants to live and die to feed you. What if you're like in a big city like Sydney? In the United States, you go to thebeefinitiative.com, and you found what we've done last year, and I was telling you all before this, is that we've built a technology stack and we're a technology company on the back end. And you go to thebeefinitiative.com if you're in Manhattan, if you're in Boston, you're in San Francisco, Los Angeles, you can go and buy beef with fiat or Bitcoin and have it delivered to your door. We're shipping to 48 states across the United States. In Australia, they've taken the lead. Their platform is about to be up. They're going to at least have an index to where you can say, hey, I'm in uh, Byron's Bay or I'm in Gold Coast, or I'm in Melbourne, or I'm in Torquay, I'm in Janjuk, and you'll be able to find somebody local to where you can go and shake their hand and have a relationship with that person. There's there's a couple of ranchers out there and farms out there. One is uh, Wolkie Farm, and that's Jacob Wolfie. He's outside of Albury, Australia. He's got a basically a butchery that he has in his town to where nobody works there. It's basically accessed through uh, technology, of course, you know, key code and everything like that. But he, people can come and basically go to his butchery. They can pick up their orders, pay there. And then the only way, the only reason, only way that you can buy beef from him or lamb or pork or chicken is go out and do a farm tour. So you have to have a relationship with him. You're going to start seeing that unfold. And we have proof of work, like I said. Then we have Dominic and Ben of Ethical Farms and Foz himself. What they did in out there outside uh, of their place in gang, uh, <laughs> excuse me, Goondog, Australia, is they uh, they have a fascinating, beautiful place. Well, he's opening up his farm, and they have a butchery there. Well, they're also going to have people where they can come stay, and they're going to have tiny homes on the creek sides or on the mountaintops. So once again, it's a lifestyle. And so if you don't have access to where you can get out of the city, you're going to have a digital access to shake a digital hand to where you can establish a relationship the way that you can. That's part of the in, in, innovation and, and transformation that we're doing within the Beef Initiative. Um, last question. 
So I think we can agree that fiat food is usually like cheaper, while like real food is usually expensive, right? Now, if you're like in a position that inflation has penalized you a lot and you cannot afford like real food somehow, uh, what are your options? Well, would you say like getting into farming would be like one, like create some sort of like sel- sustainable? N- that's not an answer for everybody, right? And, and what this is, it's about building relationships with those people that do. Right. That want to educate. Do, do you think the market would be ready for like a huge migration from fiat food to real food at the moment? Uh, I think that this is a wonderful opportunity to people start making that shift. Once this happens, what the, we'll talk beef right now. They're turning beef into caviar in the Western Hemisphere. Like, Correct. You know, yeah. and what, that, what I mean by that is they're going to price you out of it or you're not going to have market access to it. It won't be in the supermarkets in the way that it was in the past because a lot, like I'll say Texas, 80% of the beef in Texas is shipped overseas. Texans don't even eat Texas beef. They eat beef from different countries. Well, it's because it's subsidized and it's commoditized on a global way, global distribution. Governmental contracts have been signed. That's part of the global industrial food shift. And so once that happens, not everybody's going to be able to have a different type of consumption model. If you don't start establishing your market access from the soil all the way to your fork with the people that you know that is decentralized, you might not get in that door. And, you know, this is not for everybody. A lot of people won't mind eating the type of food that they're going to bring because they're making it taste so good. And it is a drug. So it's like Bitcoin. You know, you find it whenever you find it, whenever you deserve to find it. Whenever you make that decision, a lot of people that understand food intelligence, it's because something happened to their health. And, and that's a great opportunity to change to where you can educate yourself, re-educate yourself, and start taking care of your family. And I like to tell Bitcoiners that this, if you think that money is screwed and not think that food is screwed just as bad, or you're going to get, you know, there's going to be a rude awakening for you. And it's not a chore. It's not a pain in the ass to basically look at food in a different way. It's actually a gift you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you'll see that this is part of Bitcoin adoption is, is establishing these relationships through pure in truth and food. We want truth in money. Well, you better be looking at truth in food. All right. Time to turn around the table. Now it's your turn to ask me a question. And then we're going to head to like uh, closing remarks. So said you go first. Can oh be boy. anything related to Bob. <clears throat> I mean, why, what do you think is special about Bitcoin in Thailand? Like, why is, is Bob here doing what you're doing? About Bitcoin in Thailand, um, I think there are, like, some really smart people out there doing important work, like Pirilla, where he's, like, educating, educating people through his videos. Now, at the same time, since I'm here, I've been into Bitcoin for like a few years now. I've been in Thailand for like four years now. And I've never saw uh, only Bitcoin only space. Now, the main problem with that is like to every single like crypto meetup I used to go, they were like only talking about like crypto stuff. Bitcoin was in the equation, yeah, of course, but it was like not. 
put on the table after like something else, right? So when I first like met Piccolo, uh, one of our like proposals was like, why don't we create like a Bitcoin meetup so we get to know like Bitcoiners in Bangkok? Because for like the past four years that I've been here, I never like met a single Bitcoiner. And that to me was like really weird knowing how like many people like are orange orange peel through like previous videos, for example. Now we started like, doing those meetups and suddenly we realized like there are like so many Bitcoiners, not only from like the local side, but also like experts living here. Um, and then we just realized it was like uh, the market was like offering us a slot to create this space. And then after that, like new opportunities came up. Um, as you mentioned before, like it's really important like um, to meet people like face to face, shake their hands, and then if we like sh are sharing the same values, the sh same mission, usually other activities will just like come up in the place. So this is Bob for now. Uh, we have like really nice plans for like this coming year, and I cannot say much for now. I probably will like release some information in the next two weeks, but yeah, we're gonna try to build some like cool Bitcoin stuff. That segues into what I do. Uh, I do everything. Everything should be solutions driven. I, we can talk about all the issues all day long, right? And here in Thailand, uh, you know, one of my things is we talk about how beautiful Thailand is, why we all love Thailand. Mm -hmm. Well, there's there's issues here that we, we can look at and everything. And what Sid and I really want to do is establish some partners over here mm -hmm. and really truly establish a beef initiative in Thailand. And one thing that you said, some things that Bob's going to start doing is, you know, getting more, you know, more people into the Bitcoin ethos, getting more adoption, maybe not having shit corners around. It's just Bitcoin only. One thing I would like to do, and it's 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 a it's a, it's a proposal, it's a challenge, whatever you want to call it, is let's try to do something with the beautiful food of Thailand and Bitcoin have functions, have a small event, have a micro-summit here in in Bangkok or anywhere in time, Chiang Mai. It could be down in Koh Phi Phi or it could be Koh Samoy. That's a great idea, actually, yeah. Like yeah. We, can, we have, like, this beautiful garden downstairs, yeah, it's, right? it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. We could have, and like, weekly markets with, like, real food. 100%. Where, like, people can just transact with Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah. And, actually, you come here and, you, you know, you want to buy some of this wonderful food that you actually buy on the streets every day. People don't realize that buying street food in Thailand is some of them are Michelin grade quality food, right? And so why are we not inviting those people in saying, hey, would you come feed us? We want you to feed us. And then let them know that you care about them and that you want to give them some basically access to people that want to buy from them. And by doing that, we'll start educating with food and, and money at the same time. And I think this would be a perfect place to start trying to accomplish that. All right. Well, thanks to both of you for like these closing remarks. Uh, it's been an honor to have you here at Bob. Now we'll have like the meetup, so you will have like the opportunity to meet most of like our community here today. Love it. And thanks. yeah, hope to see you again. Safe travels. You bet. And yeah. Source well, your food accordingly, right? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> and one thing that's going to be cool is that I don't know when I'm leaving Thailand, really. Uh, we've got some obligations. But, you know, I have to fly out of Bangkok. So before Do you I leave, think uh, Slim is going to move to Thailand at some point? Most definitely. My The only thing that got uh, delayed was, was that thing, that marketing plan they called COVID. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have a very... 
I have the patience of a damn elephant. So there's no reason I ain't going to change my plans. So, uh, you know, I always like to say I'm doing reconnaissance, and that's what we're doing over here. We're doing a little di- little discovery, and then we'll define it, and then we'll we'll start producing. And that will be that production time as is, is whenever I do move part of the year to Thailand. Sounds good. Here we are to help you in anything. Too, so. I can't wait. Appreciate you, Bob. Thoughts are up. Yep. Thanks.